0: Today we come to the story of the 10th plague, the Passover and the Passover meal. Uh, It's an interesting passage because we're still in the middle of the story, the story of Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues, but interspersed in that story, we now find instructions for a Passover feast, a sort of reenactment of these events, a reenactment that the people of Israel were to continue to observe long after they had settled in the promised land the fact that yahweh turns this event into a memorial feast for israel tells us that passover must be very important that it's foundational for the identity of god's people and so there are riches to be mined from this story if we will take the time to meditate upon it as we seek to do that let me pray for us god of the exodus By the power of your spirit, open our hearts to your word this morning, that we may know how you have worked to deliver your people in the past, and how that deliverance is carried on in the present and into the future through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So you'll remember that Yahweh has been at war with the gods of Egypt. He has been systematically tearing down the pillars of the house of Egypt, decreating Egypt. We left off at the ninth plague, where Yahweh plunged the land into darkness for three days. Pharaoh's advisors begged him to relent. They said, Egypt is ruined. There's nothing left for Yahweh to take, right? Still, Pharaoh would not give in. And so that brings us to chapter 11, verse 1. Yahweh said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So Moses said, thus says Yahweh, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. This is the tenth plague. Every firstborn in Egypt will be killed. This is the only plague that cannot be reversed or repaired. It is the plague of death. Like the others, this tenth plague is also a war of the gods. Pharaoh was considered the son of the sun god, Ra. Pharaoh's firstborn son would be the inheritor of this title, so an attack on Pharaoh is an attack on the god, Ray. It could also be an attack on the Egyptian god of the dead, Osiris, showing that only Yahweh has power over life and death. This plague also reminds us of the beginning of the book of Exodus, namely, Pharaoh's attempt to kill the sons of Israel. Remember, the people of Israel as a whole are considered God's firstborn son. Pharaoh has tried to kill and enslave and oppress God's son. Vengeance is mine, says Yahweh. And this vengeance Yahweh prophesied from the beginning of the book. Back in Exodus chapter 4, Yahweh said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, you shall say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God has planned this all along. Verse 6 says, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. Now there have been many cries. Throughout the book of Exodus, baby Moses was crying out in chapter 2. Israel cried out because of Pharaoh's oppression in chapter 3. In both cases, Yahweh delivers his sons when they cry out to him. But now Egypt will be the ones to cry out. Will their gods hear them? Not likely. Their gods have already been defeated and left in the dark. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Why is Pharaoh's heart being hardened? So that God's wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt, so that God can work this mighty exodus for his people. Again, the same is true in the New Testament, but there Israel is the Pharaoh. Their hearts are hardened against Jesus. But that hardening was ordained by God too, so that his wonders, namely Jesus' death and resurrection, could come to pass and the greater exodus could occur. We come then to chapter 12 of Exodus, and as I said, this chapter is unique because it does give us the story of the first Passover, but it's interspersed with these liturgical instructions for future observance of a Passover feast as well. So Passover will not just be an event of the past, an interesting historical detail. Passover is to be relived and represented to God's people year after year so that its message might be ingrained in their hearts from generation to generation. So verse, uh, chapter 12, verse one, and this seems to be a flashback to two weeks earlier When God apparently gave these instructions to Moses, chapter 12, verse 1, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. We see here the theme of new creation. Yahweh says, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. One commentator says, the deliverance from Egypt is a new beginning for Israel. From now on, every glance at the calendar will remind them of this fact. And it also provides a connection to Genesis and creation. At the Exodus, God's people are being recreated. They are starting over with a fresh slate. You see, Israel had a civil year, it ran from fall to fall, the seasons of the agricultural year, but now they have another calendar as well, a religious calendar, and it runs from spring to spring. We actually have something similar, don't we? Our civil calendar begins January 1st, but the Christian calendar begins on the first Sunday of Advent, almost at the end of the civil year. Yahweh wants His people to mark their time according to the story of the Exodus, just as we Christians mark our time according to the story of Christ's redemption. This is how we live our lives, right? Most of us are going to be celebrating Independence Day today, but in the church calendar, we're talking about the Passover, and we're celebrating that today. We have a higher calendar, the calendar of the life of Christ. Passover and the events of the Exodus are going to be like that for the Israelites. God calls for a lamb. The Hebrew word uh, can actually refer to a sheep or a goat. The word really means a member of the flock. And God says the lamb is to be without blemish, and it is to be a male. This is the kind of animal referred to elsewhere, literally as a son of the flock. Why is that significant? Because the son of the flock is dying in the place of the son of the family. A son for a son. There will be sons killed in the Israelite camp this night, but it will be the son of the flock instead of the sons of the people. We needed a son to die in our place as well. Thankfully, Romans 8.32 tells us, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Jesus is the lamb who died in our place. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this is the Passover sacrifice, the Passover meal. And I want to talk about this ritual and what it conveys. First, there's a display of blood. And this is something that we're going to see later in many of the rituals that God will command for Israel's worship in the law. Blood is sprinkled or daubed on the people or on the priests, or on the altar, or the other furniture of the tabernacle. Blood must be shown, and we'll see why in a moment. In this case, the blood is displayed not on the people or on the altar, but on the doorway. And notice, it's not displayed on the wall of the house, or even on the door itself, but on the frame of the door. It's on the frame of the door. It makes a bloody entrance, a bloody doorway. This means you can figuratively pass through blood as you walk into the house. And it means the next day all Israel will pass through the blood in order to leave Egypt. Why? Yahweh is teaching Israel something, a principle. And it seems to be this. Blood opens doorways to new worlds, new life. Compare the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Blood opens doorways to new worlds, to new life. Why associate blood and the opening of doorways to new life? The symbolism here probably connects to birth, and I'm not trying to be graphic, all right? But we have to see through the eyes of ancient people, and they saw people and animals giving birth all the time. They knew well, when a baby is born, it passes through a doorway that is often bloodied. So this Passover doorway painted with blood, it actually symbolizes Israel being reborn. It pictures them passing from darkness to light, from death to life. They are entering into a new world with Yahweh, a new beginning, a new way of life. But why do they have to display blood at all? Uh, Why do you even have to do that? Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why does the destroyer pass these houses by? Because he has come to kill sons. And when he sees that the son of the flock has already been killed, he doesn't have to go in there. The work is already finished. Note that the display of blood then makes this house a sanctuary, a safe place. The display of blood creates a sanctuary. For us, these things are fulfilled in Christ. The blood of Christ has been displayed on the cross. God sees that the Son has already died. Therefore, He passes by and we are saved from the death we deserve. It also means that Jesus has become the sanctuary. Jesus is the house painted with blood. Just as the Israelites had to hide themselves in the bloodied house, We have to hide ourselves in Christ if we are to be delivered from death. Now, we have to always remember that Passover is a meal. It's not just a sacrifice where an animal is killed. It's a meal, just like all the sacrifices in the Old Covenant. The lamb whose blood is displayed on the doorpost is also the meal that is being enjoyed inside the house. And God always gives his people meals to seal his covenant to them. And that's why our Lord gave us a meal for the new covenant he brought us. He gave us the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate this morning. The Lord's Supper is much more than Passover, and it is the fulfillment of all the old covenant meals as well. But if we understand the meaning of Passover, we will better understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper too. You see, we too must display the blood. When the Apostle Paul is teaching about the Lord's Supper, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death. Now notice, it's not our words that proclaim but the act of eating and drinking that proclaims. It is a visible proclamation. It is a showing. It is a display. It means that when we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, we are showing God that the Son was killed for us. Just as the blood on Israel's doorpost said, Look, the Lamb has been slain. The Son of the flock has already been killed here. You do not need to destroy In the same way, the celebration of the Lord's Supper says to God, look, the lamb has been slain. The son has already died. Here is his body given and his blood poured out. Pass over us. Do not destroy us. Instead, deliver us to new life. We're jumping back uh, to verse eight now. The lamb was not the only course of the meal. There was unleavened bread, and we'll see the meaning of that in just a moment. There were also bitter herbs. We're not told what this means, but this is the same word used to describe the bitter service required of the Hebrews in Exodus 14. So, this bread could be a reminder of the bitter labor that they had to eat in Egypt. The meal also had certain attire, verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, this is the only time that they would eat the Passover this way. The subsequent yearly celebration of Passover would look a little different, obviously. Jesus and his disciples are reclining and relaxing when they eat Passover, And in case you thought I was making all this up, we see the war of the gods theme made explicit in this chapter. Verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. Yahweh is at war with the gods of Egypt. Then he says, verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. We talked about memorials two weeks ago when God told Moses that Yahweh was his memorial name. And Remember, we said memorials do remind us, but they also remind God. Not that he has forgotten something, but memorials call him to act. They call him to act in accord with the promises he has made. Yahweh says Passover is a memorial as well. When Israel celebrates the Passover in years to come, they will be reminding God of the deliverance he brought about at the Exodus. But they will be asking him to continue that, to continue to be faithful to that covenant, to continue to pass over them, to continue to deliver them from their enemies as he had done. At the first Passover, it is a memorial meal. Again, the Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of this. Jesus says of the bread and cup, this is my memorial. When we display the death of Christ by sharing in this supper, we ask God to act according to the new covenant promises that he made in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Pass over us. Deliver us. After the actual Passover meal, there follows the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel, 17. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. What's the meaning of this feast of unleavened bread? It's not a new diet that God has given His people. There's nothing wrong or sinful with leaven itself. After all, Israel will be eating leavened bread the rest of the year. No, it's a symbolic restriction. What does it symbolize? They didn't have yeast packets in the ancient world. Couldn't go to Ivy and buy yeast, right? So leavened bread was made using starter dough, like a sourdough. You, have a, you save a portion of the previous lump of dough, and you use that to make the next batch of dough. That means there's continuity, uh, continuity from one batch to the next, right? It's the same dough being used day after day, maybe for years. But to make unleavened bread, you have to start a whole new lump of dough with flour and water from scratch. It's a lot more trouble, it's a lot more work, but it is completely new bread. Unleavened bread shows that Israel is to make a clean break from Egypt. They can't bring any of Egypt's idolatrous and sinful practices with them. They have to start brand new with Yahweh. They have to depend on Him for their life from now on. Next, we get a little more of the first Passover story and then some more instruction for future Passovers. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until the morning. For Yahweh will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, Yahweh will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. One of the interesting things here is this dialogue between uh, children and their fathers where they ask the meaning of these Passover rituals. And right now, I just want you to notice that this is to happen when Israel has come to the land that Yahweh will give them. And it will happen with people who do not know about the Passover, people that weren't actually there. They will have to be taught what this means. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve Yahweh as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. There's an urgency to Pharaoh's request. He gets up in the middle of the night. There are loud cries all around him. He finds his own firstborn son dead. And his gods have not come to his rescue. He's terrified. His world is undone. And in that moment, at least, he knows he needs the intercession of the true God's prophet. He says to Moses, serve Yahweh as you have said. This is the first time that Pharaoh has agreed to all of Yahweh's terms without condition, without quarrel. In this moment, he finally recognizes that these people do not belong to him. They belong to Yahweh. They serve Yahweh, not Pharaoh. Sadly, Pharaoh will not remain of this mind for long. His repentance will be short-lived, just as Yahweh prophesied. And we'll see more on that next week. Verse 33 The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And Yahweh had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered The Egyptians. Again, we see the theme of of plundering the Egyptians. Just as Moses was housed and educated on Pharaoh's dime, so now Israel does not go out empty handed. The Egyptians send them out richer than when they came. And we'll see that this plunder from the house of Pharaoh will eventually be used to build the house of Yahweh, the tabernacle. God always uses the wealth of the Gentiles, the wealth of the nations, to build. The same will happen with Solomon's temple, with the restoration temple, with Herod's temple. The same thing happens with the church in the book of Acts. And so the people of Israel, secured by the blood, feasted on the lamb, and enriched by the wealth of the nations will now finally go out from the land of Egypt. The mighty hand of the Lord has defeated Pharaoh and his gods and has delivered God's firstborn son from their hand. As we look back on Exodus 11 and 12, I point out again the strange nature of this passage. We have the account of the first Passover, but intermixed with it, we have all these instructions for future Passover feasts. And that's significant. The text keeps jumping back and forth between past and present and future. It's as if the Passover event breaks the bounds of time and space. And clearly, God meant it to be as significant to future generations of Israelites as it was to the Israelites in the Exodus. There was a Jewish rabbi in the first century named Gamaliel. And when teaching Jews of his day to celebrate Passover, he said this, In every generation a man must so consider himself as if he came forth himself out of Egypt. For so it is written, And thou shalt tell thy son in that day, saying, It is because of that which the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. According to Rabbi Gamaliel, A Jewish man who lived a thousand years after the exodus had to tell his son, this is what the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. Now, if the son is smart, he could say, you never lived in Egypt, Father. You were not there when the Lord passed over. You did not pass through the Red Sea or eat manna from heaven. But I suppose Gamaliel would answer, Even so, I live as if I was there. The past deliverance of Yahweh is claimed by those in the present as if they themselves had been there to participate in it. What's really interesting is that this Rabbi Gamaliel would have been a contemporary with Jesus and the Apostle Paul. It's even possible that he was the Gamaliel that educated Paul in his youth. Paul mentions that name when he talks about his upbringing in Judaism. We don't know for sure, but either way, this Jewish understanding of the celebration of Passover was available to Christ and the apostles in their day. And it's very similar to Paul's understanding of how the death and resurrection of Jesus applies to us. The idea that we can participate in. That we can reap the benefits of a historical event that we were not present for. But we are to regard ourselves as if we were. I think Paul says this most clearly in Romans 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved. To sin, you hear the Exodus language there? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And when Paul says consider there, he's using the exact same word as Gamaliel. You see what he's saying? Even though most of us have never been to Jerusalem, I would guess, even though none of us have ever been hung on a cross, even though the crucifixion happened 2,000 years before any of us were even a glint in our Father's eye, still, you are to consider yourself as one who died with christ on that cross you are to consider yourself one who was resurrected with christ that sunday that deliverance is your deliverance were you there when they crucified my lord paul says by faith you were you are He says something very similar about the Lord's Supper, the memorial meal that Jesus gave us. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Not only did God pass over the sons of Israel on that fateful night, He gave all of Israel a ritual meal, an annual feast, That the deliverance of Passover would break the bounds of time and space. That it would continue to define God's people in the present and the future as well. And God did it again in Jesus Christ. He worked in Christ a new and greater exodus. Freeing his people from bondage to sin and death. He did this in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But he gave us a ritual meal, the body and blood of the Son of Man, of his beloved Son. He gave us this meal so that when we eat it in 2021, we can trust that we died and rose with Christ in 33 A.D. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us celebrate the feast. Let us paint the doorposts and lintels of our hearts with the blood of the Lamb who was slain, Christ our Passover, Christ our sanctuary, Christ our Exodus. And let us consider ourselves delivered by the mighty hand of the Lord. Let us pray. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Cover us with your blood that the destroyer would pass by. Bring us forth reborn in you. Deliver us into your new world, into your kingdom. Make us to abide in you, celebrating this meal before you forever. Amen.